talking just for, you know, just an opinion. My opinion is I hate it. I know you were bored during it, and I was bored. Well, under fire. Give me the V-Boys and free my soul. I want to get, get lost, lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and welcome to Film Under Fire. No, we are not a live music band. We are another movie podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately is right, Matt, because you know what? We're just adding to the wasteland of uh, movie podcasts that are out there. And you kind of have to ask, like, why make another movie podcast? And that was kind of like our whole thing. Why are we even going to do this? It's because we're cool. We're cool people. <laughs> we're cool and people needed to hear our voices. They needed to hear what we had to say because Twitter isn't enough. So we needed to have a podcast. I think that was <laughs> Twitter is a terrible, dangerous place, especially for the film community. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's never forget that. So, Burn them all. So, you know, we're like a hundred years deep in cinematic history and we just decided, fuck all of that. We're going to burn it all down and we are going to create the definitive baseline for everything cinematic going forward. And we were just like, that's, that's it. That's, that's the podcast. That is what we need to do. So every single episode, guys, we're going to be here with my hosts, and we're going to be engaging with a polarizing film, the ideas behind them, and also the artists, and the response that came from that film. And it's going to prompt an exploration on the complexities of cinema as an art form. And we're going to do it while having wonderful beverages that have alcohol in them. So... <laughs> By all means, you could take what we have to say and run with it, but you are working off of the opinions of a bunch of drunk people. So, um, well, you make us sound like a real bunch of lushes, you know. <laughs> well, how about we're not just absolutely plastered? Well, let's here. just let's introduce ourselves so they know the lushes that they are uh, listening to. Um, first of all, I want to throw it over to you, Adriana. Introduce yourself to the beautiful people out okay. there. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm Adriana. I'm a film writer, um, former film marketer, who now just is trying to get back into it with this podcast, basically. Um, I'm looking for work. If anyone is hiring and you like what I have to say, you know, give me a shout at Adri Floridi on Twitter. And I'm very excited to be with these two wonderful co-hosts of mine to discuss today's film. And all future films that we will be discussing. <laughs> you, you guys have to wait to find out what film we're going to discuss. Yes. Yes. Uh, my name is Matthew J. Hoffman. Uh, call me Matt. And I am, a I am a moving image archivist. And I hate film critics. Man. Uh, Though you used to be one. You used to be yeah, one, well, Matt. And now I, <laughs> that's how we met. You know, now, that's how I learned to hate. <laughs> that's how we all met, actually. Uh, yeah, enough. that is true. I'm of the opinion that there is nothing worse than another person's opinion. <laughs> and that's exactly why we're all here together. That's mm -hmm. exactly why we're all here together. I, guys, am Andrew Hamilton. I'm a filmmaker from Toronto, and I like to talk about movies. And I used to talk about movies on Scene Creek with these guys. And now we are here doing this thing, Film Under Fire. So let's get into the show, guys. Every single episode has a film that we're going to discuss, and that film for today, and I, I'm going to hand it over to him, because it very much is <laughs> his entry into the book of Film Under Fire. Matt, introduce it to the people. Today's film is 
one of the greatest films ever made. It is a film <laughs> that I have seen in the last five, six years, seven times. It gets better and better with each viewing. And that film is Jonathan Demme's final narrative feature. Not his final film, his final narrative feature, Ricky and the Flash from 2015. Directed by Jonathan Demme, written by Diablo Cody of Juno and Jennifer's Body and Jagged Little Pill, the musical fame. And young adults. <laughs> and young adult, of course. And starring one of the greatest actresses of all time, Mary Elizabeth, no, sorry, Mary <laughs> Louise Streep, also known as Meryl Is her name Streep. Mary Louise? Yes. I am just learning that. And I just want to say fun facts. Matt, I don't know if you remember, we saw this movie together in theaters the first time. My mom was there. Your mom might have been there too. I don't know. It was like a mother, bring your mother screening. I brought my mother, I brought my father, and I brought my sister. Because I knew that this was the cinematic event of the summer, (laughs) and it had to be enjoyed by the whole family. Oh my god. Okay. Save all of that for the discussion of the film. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to get into Ricky and the Flash. We are. Matt Matt has already clearly told us all how he feels about Ricky and the Flash. There's there's more to dive into though. Don't worry, because we are not just a review podcast. Fuck that shit. We're so much more. Yeah, we don't like we don't we're like film critics. critics. We're not critics. That's it. We're we are, former critics. <laughs> we're gonna shove our opinions down your throats, but we are not film critics, okay? Mm-hmm. So don't hate us too much. The thing we're actually gonna yeah. do right now is something we like to call the bill. What is the bill? The bill is a collection of three different films that we, each one of the hosts, are going to bring to the table and essentially be evangelists for. We're going to sit here right now and shove a film right down your throat, and we're going to make you want to watch it. So the first person I'm going to throw this over to is Mr. Matt Hoffman. Take it away, sir. Oh, this is very difficult. Um, (laughs) I'm going to recommend a film that I watched for the first time a couple weeks ago. It's a pretty big film. A lot of people have seen it, but I had never seen it. And I think it's, I'm going to keep it on theme with today's film. And that film is Martin Scorsese's 1978 film, The Last Waltz, which is absolutely incredible. Perhaps the most beautifully shot concert film ever made. Great music. It documents the final concert of the band and features guest appearances by Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan, Ronnie Wood, Ringo Starr, the Staple Singers, Emmylou Harris, and, and a whole bunch of folks. And it's really absolutely incredible. So that is my film for the Triple Bill. Matt, really quick. I don't feel like I've ever asked you this, but I feel like you have a pretty high opinion on the live concert film. I feel like you've watched quite a few. I've seen a few, but I, I like to, I, I stay in my wheelhouse. I watch the same kind of concert films. I respect the grind. You right? know, I like my 1970s, <laughs> 1960s music. And like, I watch a lot of those concert movies. Man, Ricky and the Flash really was made for you that. Anyways, let's move over <laughs> to Adriana. What is uh, your film of the week? Okay, well, my film is also a movie I saw for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, However, it's not a well-known movie. Um, It's called Human Traffic. And it is in line with the musical theme in the sense that it's about electronic music. Um, The film was made in 1999. And it follows five friends in the UK who go out for a night of clubbing. And 
it's just a very stylish, fun movie that basically makes you feel like you're out at the club. Like it really, um, it really evokes the feeling of what it's like to go out, to be on, you know, whatever substance is your choice, uh, to go dancing, um, to have the after party. Um, it's kind of like the lifestyle I was living pre-pandemic. So. I was going to say, the lifestyle of Adriana Floridia on a Saturday night. Adriana, um, human trafficking. <laughs> So yeah, it was nice to watch a movie that just kind of took me back there um, in a really fun and uh, like just really accurate way. Um, it's yeah, I've never really heard about it. Just like one of my friends who I used to go out with, it's his favorite movie. And I just happened to see that it was on TV and I watched it. A plus for me. Highly recommend, okay, especially if you like time. electronic music. I don't. <laughs> So Adriana just made me flip my uh, my bill of the week, and I'm gonna because I want to keep. And actually, you both made me flip it because I want to keep it music related. Um, okay. An honorable mention. I'm gonna cheat because <laughs> I'm I'm gonna cheat. It's our podcast. We get to cheat. Um, I was originally gonna say Possessor, just because I cannot stop telling people to go and watch that movie. It's so damn good. But the movie, forget that. The one that I'm gonna talk about right now is. Lovers I Rock. I wish I could. Hey, hey, watch yourself, Matt. Watch <laughs> yourself, okay? We're, we're here to argue with each other. I will cut <laughs> you, man. I will cut you. Okay, uh, the movie I'm here to talk about is Lovers Rock. Yes, Steve mm. McQueen's Lovers Rock, which, to be honest, is an ode not only to, not only to a very specific period in not just black culture, but specifically Caribbean culture in the U.K., but also, it's a love letter to a night out. A love letter to going out with your friends, not knowing what the night is going to bring, good or bad, and riding that wave. And it's just beautiful, 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 beautiful to see a film that has black people just being people. Because you want to know what, guys? As a black man myself and a black filmmaker, I have to say... We don't really get a chance to just be people and chill and jam at the parties like everybody else. We mm -hmm. don't really get like, you know, we don't get our chances to have like, you know, the like fast times or at Ridgemont. Like we don't have those, even though House Party is arguably that and better. But um, that's for another. That's for another. I was time. watching that the other night. That's really funny you mentioned that. House party or yeah fashion? yeah I just said I didn't finish it because I put it on really late at night and I fell asleep this is and what I have to go back Adrian to it. A movie watch. Shut, shut up. <laughs> House party is almost the flip is a flip of what um, Lovers Rock is. But what Steve McQueen oh, brings to the table nice. is um, so so beautifully captured. The energy there, honestly, just even as like from a filmmaking standpoint, it's just crazy that he is able to capture something that feels so honest in every single moment throughout the film. So yeah, man, I'm throwing up Lover's Rock. Please go out and watch it. Just before we dive into Ricky and the Flash, for you all to remember, our Bill movies of the week. Last Waltz. Human Traffic. And for me, it's going to be Lover's Rock. <coughs> Possessor. Lover's Rock. <laughs> but that's what it's all about. Now, guys, we are here to talk about one movie and kind of one movie only. Ricky and the motherfucking Flash. Mm. Let's go. 
I'm Ricky Randazzo, and uh, I'd like to introduce my band, The Flash. I've been trying to call you. It's Julie, our daughter. Max left her. What? You brought your guitar? Yeah, just the one. Oh, Mom, you're here. It's like the 80s all over again. Hope Maureen doesn't mind that I'm here. Oh, hi. We are really concerned about Julie. What happened? Max came home, told me that he was in love with a girl named Nicole. She's going to be all right. She's always been a fighter. Well, she's had to be. To get us through this wonderful discussion of a very interesting movie, I first want to start us off with the big question. Because honestly, man, Ricky and the Flash, she's all over the marketing. She's obviously the main reason why he came. This is Meryl Streep's fucking movie. Like, get ready say for anything Ricky. else. Yeah. It is Meryl Streep's movie. So let's talk <clears throat> about Meryl Streep for a second. First, Please. guys, like, just what's your what's your favorite Meryl Streep movie? Matt, I know you have been, you've been born, you were born for this moment. Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm gonna save you for last, Matt. Uh-huh. Adriana, I want I want to hear you first. Oh God, okay. Meryl Streep movie? Um, I'm not nearly as big a fan of Meryl as Matt is, but I'm gonna give a pretty basic answer here and go with The Devil Wears Prada. Um. It's a great movie and a great performance from Meryl Streep. It's like the first one I think of when I think of her. I think most people, especially our generation, would also too. But I will give an honorable shout out to Mamma Mia because mm-hmm. I love that movie. She's incredible in it. I remember like seeing that in theaters and like laughing so hard, like falling out of my chair. It was just so fun. Uh, so pure Meryl Streep. All of her talent shine in that movie. Maybe maybe my answer is really Mamma Mia. <laughs> Both are great movies. Mm-hmm. I think Those Mamma are my two. a better answer. I'll take Mamma Mia. <laughs> I'll take Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, Even, enough, but she's, she's not in it. She's not in it quite enough for yeah. that, but... So, my Meryl Streep movie is going to be Adaptation, because mm-hmm. nice. honestly, man, seeing, seeing a coked up, completely piece of shit Meryl Streep is just, <laughs> dude, I just, it's just everything I've been like waiting for. You'd argue that Kramer versus Kramer, like Meryl Streep is arguably more of the piece of shit, but like, man, you just cannot deny at the end of the film when she's running through the forest with the fucking gun, just all cooked mm, up. So good. That's, that's, that's cinema. That's what, that's why movies were made. That's is she even why we are up here. or is it more like some kind of heroine kind of thing? Dude, I'm a hundred percent sure she is like because it's like green in the, the film. Out. Oh, actually, because it's right. the extract from the, <laughs> from the plant from the orchid. Yes, you are well, right. So, so it's yeah, like some just, opiate. Man, yeah. So, yeah. So sorry, just a fucked up Meryl mm-hmm. Streep. And by the way, can I just say <laughs> that like high Meryl Streep, like no matter how high she is or what substance it is, it all kind of like she seems to be the same Meryl Streep. Well, high Meryl <laughs> in um. It's complicated. There's a great scene where Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin, oh, John Krasinski yes. are all smoking a joint in the bathroom. That's one of the great Meryl scenes. <laughs> okay, Matt. So get, get into this, Matt. You, yes. When um, you brought this up, you got so excited. I'm going to give you the top five Streeps, okay? These Do are it. ranked with 
the quality of the film itself, and then the merogasm of the film, which is a certain feeling when like <laughs> your shoulders kind of like twirl back and forth when she does something really good, and your whole body gets a little shake, like an adaptation where she <laughs> says, where she says, "I suppose I do have one unembarrassed passion. I want to know what it feels like to care about something passionately." And you go, "Oh, that's a <laughs> merogasm." Oh. So that's going to take Meryl me Gasm. in to my number five. You do a good Meryl. You do a good Adaptation. Meryl. That was really good. Thank you. One of many. I do lots of street. I got in a high school. I did a lot of street impressions. I do. I, I do Iron Lady. With all due respect, Governor, I have done battle every single day of my life. And many men have underestimated me before. This lot seem bound to do the same, but they will rue the day. So I could do oh all the streets. Thank you. That was Iron. That was Martin if, Thatcher. Matt, every podcast needs a gimmick, and uh, man, we might just have to like. <laughs> so my number five is adaptation. It, that used to be like my number one, but I it was my one of my favorite movies in my late teens, and I watched it again recently, and I still love it, but it doesn't. I don't identify with with it the same way. But all respect to adaptation. All respect to the real Susan Orlean, who Meryl Streep plays. Love Susan Orlean. <laughs> great writer. My number four. She's great on Twitter. Is Woody Allen's Manhattan? Say what you will, but in Fran, but Fran Lebowitz in the final episode of Martin Scorsese's Pretend It's a City does make a pretty good defense for uh, enjo- how you can still enjoy a work by someone who's questionable. Anyway, oh, I need to see that. My number three is a cheat because it's a TV miniseries, but it is Mike Nichols' Angels in America. Meryl plays like nice. three or four roles, including a rabbi at the beginning and a uh, beautiful adaptation of Tony Kushner's play. My number two is, I think it's Michael Cimino directed it. It is The Deer Hunter. Awesome film. Not the most Meryl, not the most showy Meryl movie, but once again, like it's just a beautiful, incredible film. Probably my favorite Vietnam War movie. And then my number one is... A film that I had that every time I watched it, it moved further and further up the streep list. And for the last couple watches, it's been at number one. And that is Ricky and the Flash, which is, in my opinion, a perfect film. (laughs) Okay. You know what, Matt? You perfectly segued us into the next question we just obviously have to ask. I know we're not film critics here. We're not not doing... But, but, but... (laughs) You like a movie, you don't like a movie. I, I think it, that is that is a fact. Matt, we we understand you've 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 just pledged your allegiance to Ricky and the Flash. It you're putting all your fucking chips there. I got it. Adriana, how do you feel about Ricky and the Flash? Uh, I really liked it. Um, so I saw this as I said for the first time when it came out in 2015. I think it was a pre-screening mm-hmm. type deal. Uh, Matt Hoffman was there. Special theater. <laughs> yes. <Wednesday> night. <laughs> the weather was mild. Um, <laughs> I have not much of a memory of the movie from that night. I don't remember like particularly loving it the first time I watched it. And I didn't have much of a feeling when you guys said, let's do it for this podcast. So I was kind of like, hey, whatever, like some random Meryl Streep movie. <laughs> Um, but when I rewatched it to have this conversation, I actually really liked it a lot more. Um, maybe just, I'm a little older now. Um, just the relationship 
the main one between Ricky and her daughter, um, who's like coming out of this depression because she just was left by her husband and the way that they can connect on this weird level, even though she's still mad at Ricky for having abandoned the family and the whole dynamic of that and how awkward it is for Ricky to even come back to a family that she abandoned. I just feel like it was done in a very, um, just a very authentic way, but still with this like really grandiose performance by Meryl Streep, um, where she's this like Republican dressed as a punk rocker who's kind of left this traditional life to pursue her dreams of rock music. And it's, it's a very interesting character study and a very interesting like family, like dysfunctional family kind of story. And all the characters are really well fleshed out and mm. all the relationships make sense and are really well fleshed out. And the music is great. And the final scene is so fun at the wedding where like all the people are just disgusted when Ricky starts playing. Like it's a very like Don't it's invite just a people fun... like that to your wedding. Like just don't invite <laughs> people like that to your wedding. Seriously. It was just this very interesting clash of like this proper, prim and proper type people with like the Ricky who's kind of this rebel, but she's still kind of like those people in some ways. And it was just something very authentic about that. So I, I, I did really enjoy it upon my rewatch of the film five, six years later now. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I got for you. I give it a thumbs up. <laughs> well. Guys. I don't know what Andrew's going to say. I feel like no, he's, no, no, I feel no, 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 he's no, no. not I'm, on the I'm, same page. I'm, 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 not, I'm not on the same page, but like I... Okay, guys, I don't hate this movie. This movie okay. has so much going for it. It's like if if you could turn around and just say that Ricky and the and the I was gonna say Ricky and the trash. Excuse <laughs> no. me. I, for, no, no, Freudian no. slip if, over there. <laughs> if you can say that Ricky and the Flash is a bad movie, I don't know. I, I can't really like I can't really vibe with your opinions on film. It's just kind of hard to like look at that film and just say, hey guys, this movie's trash. Because, I mean, ultimately it isn't. Do I like the movie? I don't know. Um, I have to say that this film feels like it's halfway towards like an incredible movie. And um, there's a point about two thirds through the film where it just decides to become the most generic fucking like i've seen this movie a million times uh, let's plug in all the pieces that we usually have in these films where somebody's completely out of touch and then we just turn it into a complete fantasy for them for the last portion of the film because honestly that's what the film kind of becomes i i don't know i think this film is a cool character study and it starts off as a cool character study but i i do feel that there's a certain point where I stop feel it stops feeling like something Diablo Cody has written, and it starts falling into line into the line of something that's very generic, unfortunately. And Streep is incredible. She's like, it is. I I get it, Matt. I can get why it's your favorite Streep because she's just so undeniable. There's just so many times where I was just watching the movie and I was like, yeah, this movie's fucking amazing just because of her. Mm-hmm. But. Unfortunately, like it isn't, there's the rest of the movie and the movie is like begging to be something more. And I hate being like the guy that says like, oh, this is what the movie should have been. And I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But like, I am also seeing the movie that's in front of me. And 
I feel like the movie starts to tries to deal with something that it ultimately doesn't want to deal with. And it is and it just ends up being okay, just being this like this fantasy in a sense for Ricky. That's what it kind of plays out to become. Like she gets everything she could have ever wanted at the end of the film. And Or does uh, she? Dude, dude, that's actually <laughs> man, like even like did, did did Ricky even like a big question I even have for all of this is like does Ricky change? And I mean, ultimately, like, does that even matter for this film? Does it even matter that, like, we don't see anything from, like, because Ricky, does Ricky even really have an arc? Like, a part of me feels like Ricky just keeps being Ricky. And, like, it's just that people more or less allow her to seep back into their lives as opposed to mm -hmm. anything happening with her. I don't think she changes. I think it's more of a... She tries, you know, it's it's the beginning of her saying, okay, I have to compromise. And that's sort of where it leaves us. I think there's a lot to think about where maybe, you know, a lot of the end of this film is a dream, is, is a sort of imagined hopeful world sequence. There's a lot that happens at the end of the film that is very sort of unreal. And there is an argument to be made that it doesn't that it doesn't actually happen. But it's interesting the way you talk about Diablo <laughs> Cody because I would actually say that the worst thing about this film is Diablo Cody's script. Um, and to, I'm actually really interested in hearing that. Well, I don't think I'm Diablo really Cody... I, I think Diablo Cody is very hit or miss. I mean, I think Jennifer's body is a great fucking thing. But otherwise, I really don't think she's ever written anything that's resonated with me at all. You know, I thought Juno was cute. Um, but, but... Also, but, Matt, we, like are, we are males. We are, we are men. Like, well, I, I mean, love pregnancy. I, really I love pregnancy movies. <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't. I just don't think she's writing for us, like in general. Like, um, I, she wrote Ricky the Flash like literally for me and no one else. For me, <laughs> so she's writing for me, not writing for you or Adriana. She's for me. <laughs> now, something I really, I understand what you're saying. Something I really like about this film is that it's a studio. It's it's an interesting examination of what the studio movie is in today's day and age, and like, can the indie can the indie sensibility exist in the studio creation? And I think it's a really interesting film to look at in comparison to Rachel Getting Married, which is another Jonathan Demme film. It's also about a wedding. It's also about a family member who is a little off the rocks. And that's an independent movie with like handheld yeah. cameras and weird zooms. And it feels cheap and like that's what's so this great about movie it. has that a bit this too a, though ricky it, and the flash does. also has, has a bit of that handheld like and that's jonathan yeah. that's jonathan demi that's right. for the concert that's, that's like for the jonathan concert demi. aspect that's of it. all the concert mm-hmm. scenes the the way the concert scenes are filmed like the the, the the cinematography in the first two minutes of the movie is incredible it's good incredible the music <laughs> when he comes performances and it's good <laughs> and, and, Matt, you know, Matt is having a spasm for everybody who cannot talk <laughs> right now. And then there's that amazing <laughs> shot where where Mick, Rick Springfield and Meryl and Ricky get to the wedding, and the camera does this weird vertigo, like push in, pull out thing. That was cool. I that love. was cool. <laughs> that was cool. They do it twice actually. They do it before when mm-hmm. she's in the dress, and then they do it again when they're at the wedding, when they're arriving at the wedding, which was mm-hmm. I thought was like very because it also is showing Ricky kind of like fish out of water right mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. i thought was pretty interesting so so yes I, I i i understand that critique but i but i do really think it's a very interesting 
It's an interesting film. Like, for what is it? You know, it's this weird studio movie. They had no idea how to promote it. The trailers were like, the trailers made it look really bad, really cheesy. <laughs> and something I like so much about Streep in this movie is, and I think it's very, it's wild to me that she gets os- nominated for Oscars for so much shit. And then she does a movie like this and doesn't get a nomination for anything. To me, that's crazy. And and it's because in this but, movie, she's playing a regular person. It's not. But that's a, just a symptom of the Academy as well. There, she got she gets nominated for the stuff that like people get nominated for, Matt. Like, sure. That's the thing. Sure. But, st- you know, it's like, like prestige it's type movies. But she, at this point, she doesn't even get nominated for for those movies. She gets nominated for being herself. Like Iron Lady is a bad movie. You know, it's just Fair a bad enough. movie. She's fucking. I mean, she's. She's amazing in it, but she's also horrible in it, if you think about it. Like, it's a weird <laughs> fucking performance, a weird movie. Margaret Thatcher is kind of impossible to play. Like, Gillian Anderson just played her in The Crown, and it was also an amazing performance, but it was also a terrible performance. You know, Gillian Anderson played Margaret <laughs> Thatcher as if Margaret Thatcher was a lizard woman, which you could argue that she was. But Gillian Anderson, you know, <laughs> had her tongue catching flies playing Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. It's just kind of hard for me, Matt, because, like, so I, I I actually agree with every point you just made. It is an extremely interesting movie, especially when you view it through that lens as a film that is essentially independent at heart, working within the studio system. And it very much shines in those regards. But is it independent but at heart? That that's the that's what ruins the movie though, Matt. I honestly, man, I almost feel that if this was an independent film, like if this was and I know this wouldn't actually happen, but I right, know if exactly. this was just Demi if Demi and and uh, Diablo Cody got somehow got Meryl Streep, and they were all working on this film together. I feel like we would have got the film that actually, like, that would have been like true to what the to at least what I thought the film was trying to go for, right? And like, keep in mind, like, this is just me as a viewer, say, putting like my ideals, sure. my like my bullshit mm-hmm. towards the film, right? But when I watch the film, I'm sitting there and. I feel like the film is begging to like dive more into this film, and actually, like this is it's, this is going to start leading us into our bigger secondary question. But like, I really think when Maureen shows up in the film, the film is very much trying to tell us what kind of film it wants to be, and I'm not going to get too much into that because it's the impact in which Maureen holds in those moments in which she shows up. The secondary characters in this film are just like fucking spectacular. Like they do so much, and especially Rick Springsteen. Rick Springfield. Especially fucking Rick Springfield. Uh-huh. Oh, Rick, Rick Springfield. Sorry, that scene. He's that they so have, good in this film. He's he's so good. That specifically that scene after after they have that big spat on stage and they go mm-hmm. into the back and then they're arguing and he he tells her what happened to him. That is like. That to me, I was like, oh my God, this movie, like that was when that movie was incredible to me. I was like, this is fucking great. And then they go and they fuck and I'm like, yes. <laughs> and before they fuck. fuck, before they fuck, there's these beautiful little nuances. Before they fuck, they try to kiss and then they both have to take off their glasses, you know, because they're both yes. wearing reading glasses because they're just like in their 60s and like, that's kind of beautiful. But then also, Matt, at that very moment is when the film really just goes full notch into the like, okay, now we're going into the Ricky fantasy. And I understand how you can read that as a fantasy or a dream, but I think the film very clearly 
is showing you that it is not. This is happening. Well, yeah, I don't think you know anything I mean? indicates it's a like fantasy that, and, and other than it, us thinking it's fantastic. Maybe you both need to watch it. Fu- maybe you both need to watch this film five more times. Five more times. <laughs> well, my, my I've always viewed Ricky and the Flash as a very, very much a three act film with three very. It feels like almost three different movies. There's the beginning until Ricky comes back. You know, she goes to Minneapolis mm-hmm. and then comes back. The second act is that chunk, Ricky in Minneapolis, you know, getting, fixing the issues with the relationship with Rick Springfield, playing Drift Away, Fix- invited to the wedding, getting the dress. Fixing. And then. <laughs> fixing. Well, addressing. Nah, addressing. Cannot, and I then cannot, the third being cannot... the wedding, which, you know, it very, and it has that title card that comes on the screen, like wedding day. Wedding day. Okay, Matt. That I I turned to I turned to my girlfriend Emily at that point, and I was like, "When the movie has to tell you wedding day, it's lost." <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> and, and it made, no. Uh, so but, you just don't like title cards, basically. No, 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 no. I it, it was no. It was just there was a spoon feeding <laughs> element to there's a spoon fed element to Ricky and the Flash, which completely contradicted this this film about like this film that wasn't a spoon-fed film to be mm-hmm. completely honest there was actual nuance to the characters there was nuance to the relationships even though i don't really agree with you guys that all the characters are fleshed out honestly the brothers kind of just like pop up and then they're they are in the realm of the family but realistically they don't really come full circle until the end and i would argue whether you'd call that character development full circle because it's kind of just like oh shit man things are really fucked up at that dinner with my mom Maybe I should actually just turn around. And, like, obviously there was conversations with Maureen, which they nod to, right? Maureen, the invisible, black, magical character who's making everything better. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, these characters aren't really fleshed out or developed. They kind of are just there for Ricky. And I, I do feel that in, like, a lot of other movies, if characters operated like that, it, it would never be looked at as good screenwriting. I personally just don't look at it as like good screenwriting. Well, I, I look at it in the sense that she wasn't there for the development. You know, she left and these people developed and they grew into who they were. And then she came back and said, oh my God, who are all these people? They're all changed. They're all different. But she hadn't changed. And I think for me, it's about her catching up. You know, it's like, look at this. I don't even know my mm-hmm. family anymore. I don't know my son. I don't know my other son. Like, all these, these aren't the people I knew, you know, and she even says something to the daughter, like, oh, you were just my little girl, you know, how could this happen? She missed it all. So for me, it's, it's a character study in the sense of, it's not really about these other characters changing. They don't have to change. They've lived their whole lives. They've done that. It's just about over these course of these like few days, this woman is racing to catch up with everyone else before it's too late, which it, in many senses it is. It already is. It is, you know, she goes to this wedding and the film ends. They're all happy at the wedding, but after that, she goes home. You know, just like she so does Matt, before. Like, mm-hmm. I and actually. So then, I want to ask you guys. I want to ask both of you: Is Ricky the Flash a story about redemption, or is this a story about regret? It sounds to me like you're saying this is a story about regret, ultimately. Yes, absolutely. I think so too. She gets to have fun at a yeah. wedding with her kids. I don't think she's all, redeemed when they're all at a wedding, having fun, celebrating, drunk, whatever. But that's a, that's a party, and then the party ends, and they have to go back to their real lives after that. After the way this film ends, and I don't think she's mm-hmm. a part of that. Unfortunately, I think she's found her. She's learned to love and find her own thing with Rick Springfield, but I don't think you know. 
maybe she comes once a year to visit, but that's as far as this is going to go. She doesn't get her kids back for me. She doesn't get to be, mm-hmm. she doesn't get to be grandma to the, to the kid, to the, her son's grant, to her grandchild. Grandma, you know, she's never going to get grandma that. Grandma already exists. Grandma already exists. Grandma's that's Maureen. And, and, yeah. and, and Maureen. Maureen says it. She goes, who took the, who took your daughter to college? Who sent you all the Mother's Day cards? Who did everything? Because you were not here and you can't just come back. And just because Audra McDonald feels bad and invites her to the wedding, it's a gesture. It's not a come back to this family. It's not a we forgive you. And I don't really think anyone yeah, does forgive her. It's just they, they all begin to learn that there's that they can work on this her. relationship. They can there's work yeah. to be done. AJ, that's it. Adriana, speak a bit more on that. Like, cause <laughs> I I do think I agree with that. Like the the accepting of Ricky, everybody else yeah. around her having to turn around and accept who she is. Right. Like it's kind of like I don't think she redeems herself or anything like that, but I think the fact that she goes back home to be with her daughter in this time of need and they kind of get to know each other a little bit, like where they're at in each other's lives at that point. And it's kind of like, okay, this woman's not horrible. She's not like mal she didn't have malintent. She just was kind of doing her thing and like the kids, especially her daughter, kind of have to accept that and realize, okay, like, yes, it sucks. She's my mom. She owed it to me to be there for me, but that's not who she is. She's not a mom. She's not a person who can be a mother. She's, that's not what her nature is. And her nature is to be a rock singer, whatever. Well, like, her nature is to worry she about chose herself that. And to follow her own. Yeah, she's, and leave she's, everybody selfish. Else. she's selfish. Yes, yes. She's selfish. And yes. her kids are angry at her for that. But I think that once they get to reconvene with her through visiting the daughter and then the wedding, it's kind of like, this is who she is. We can't spend our lives hating her because like, what's the use of that? We've done that our whole lives already. It's kind of like, we're adults now. Mom's back in her way. She's making an effort kind of like, I, I maybe you'd rather have her there, well, have, have her there in the capacity then. she's there. Yeah. Where does, does, so, and this is all stuff that needs to happen away from like any scene in the movie. Cause realistically like when we think back to the movie that we just watched none of that actually like not there is nothing to spur that in regards to um sebastian stan's character or mm-hmm. the other brother and it's it's escaping me right now <laughs> matt fill it in fill it in matt i know you know i know you know um, i'm waiting now i can't oh, remember fuck, matt oh man i don't know who that guy is <laughs> The actor who is definitely listening to this very important podcast. Adam, right Adam, now. Adam, Adam. We are so it's Adam, sorry. It's Josh and Adam, and, em- and the wife is Emily. Please let us interview you one day. I saw him once. I went to and a play. We could talk and about I, this. I went to a play, and he w- I was in the bathroom one with him, and I was going to be like, Ricky the Flash, baby. But should have done it, man. Like, Ricky the Flash. Oh, the time. By the way, Matt does love Ricky and the Flash so much that he drunkenly ordered a poster. Yeah, it's a great poster. Time, and it is. I want to. It, it is a fantastic I don't want to turn the conversation too much, but I want to. I think it's very important that we talk about the band and the music. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do that. Well, Matt, can I ask you really quick yes. then, but as we get into that? What was your favorite Ricky and the Flash cover? It's so hard for me to say because I feel like it changes all the time. I mean, I think the American Girl is fantastic. I think. Drift Away is fantastic, and as a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, 
I'm a much, I will say I'm a much, 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 much bigger Springsteen fan now than I was in 2015 when I saw the film. So that didn't really have that much of a crazy influence. I appreciate it more. Uh, My Love Will Not Let You Down is like a Springsteen cut. Like it's not even on any Springsteen album. It was only ever released in this like special collection where they were like, here are all the songs that never made it onto the albums. Like it's a real Springsteen song for the Springsteen fans, you know? And I love that when she goes, here's a song by Bruce Springsteen, that that's what she plays. <laughs> she doesn't play Born to Run. She doesn't play Thunder Road. She doesn't play, you know, Tougher Than the Rest. She plays My Love Will Not Let You Down. And I saw Springsteen one. I've seen Springsteen a few times. And when he played My Love Will Not Let You Down, let me tell you. It was the <laughs> It hits. It slaps. It slaps. Okay. So I'm I would like go to give with, a special I'm go shout. Drift away, but it's just for the moment. Okay, I'm gonna be a little different here and actually shout out the song that's original to the film, um, written by Jenny Lewis, um, who's actually one of my favorite singers. Yeah, so I didn't realize when I, that was Jen- when I rewatched this recently. I went, "Oh shit, Jenny yeah, Lewis wrote that." Yeah, it came up in the credits, and I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, I fucking love Jenny Lewis." Um, so the song's called "Cold One," and it, she sings it in the scene where they've all just smoked. Mm. Yes. Uh, weed and they're all just hanging out together and Ricky plays it on the guitar and it's like you know one of the only songs she's written or whatever on her album and they go back into like her her debut album and and all that I thought it was a really nice moment in the film mm-hmm. and a beautiful song and one of my deep regrets you know first of all some of the ways Ricky went wrong as a film when Meryl Streep promoted this film she never <laughs> she didn't play live or, or perform any of the songs that's oh, how they should have uh... promoted they should have had it should have been it should have been SNL with musical guest Ricky and the Flash that like (laughs) but she can't do that because Meryl she 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 feels the need to be so perfect that you know all the songs are recorded live nothing is in a studio nothing's tracked they were all they when they made this film I believe they had that location for about five days the location of the bar and they just brought in a bunch of extras and they just got to like fucking watch Meryl Streep and a band rock out Oh my like, god. That is so honestly, man, that would be the most incredible that the my favorite I want a movie that is really Ricky and the fucking Flash. Mm-hmm. I want it. I want that movie. <laughs> I do I want, too. I do too. I want the promise. I want the promise that was made to me. And those guys <laughs> are great. To go along with that, I feel like it's such a shame that that song didn't get nominated for best original song. Because imagine mm-hmm. like it wouldn't have happened, but like Ricky imagine Meryl Streep at the Oscars performing "Cold One." <laughs> now I want to talk about Andrew. I want to hear your favorite song, and then I want to talk about the band because the people Let's in that it. band are very important people. If you're into that, if you're into rock. <laughs> Very they, important. They very people. much are. Ooh, so let's okay. honestly let's just get mine out of the way. To be honest, the reason why this is my favorite song is just because what it what it is within the film mm-hmm. and what they're trying to say about like this bar and like the Ricky and the Flash and where they are in their lives as a band and it's bad romance. When bad <laughs> romance drops, I just that that. Mm-hmm. That just hit when you heard the people at the back. It's not just the song. It's not just the cover. It's what it is within the film itself. Because, yeah, very much so. That was a fantastic moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that that's mine. Um, it's not one of the great classic rock songs, Matt. I am very sorry. I... I have way too much melanin for that. My apologies. But um, Modern classic. <laughs> <laughs> But let's uh, let's continue. What are you trying on to tell me that black problem? people don't like Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> I'm saying that as a 
young black man, I probably wasn't. I, Bruce Springsteen wasn't put in front of me as much as it probably was for you. I'll put. It, it I will also say it was me not neither, put in front of me, me at all. I discovered Springsteen <laughs> on my own. It was not given to me. I very much Bruce Springsteen. I'm pretty sure I found out about when I was watching. Streets of Philadelphia. It's one of my favorite like, what about songs. What Jerry Maguire? Wasn't Secret ever. Garden for, written for Jerry Maguire? Yes, it is. Head it is. But I, Garden, I, wasn't, I wasn't like woke <laughs> enough as a kid to like get into okay. Jerry Maguire. I just really loved the show me the money scene because yeah. I just thought it was so great. Like, I mean, how come <laughs> now? So let's talk about the plan. So before I just want to proceed it, there's a whole other interesting conversation to be had about how this fits in as Demi's, you know, final feature. There's a lot of references to Demi to Demi movies in this. A lot of people that pop up for a second that have important roles in other Jonathan Demi movies. The first song we hear in the movie is American Girl, which people will remember from being a classically used in Silence of the Lambs. When Catherine yeah. is first seen in Silence of the Lambs, she's driving her car, singing along to American Girl. Very important, specific song choice. Okay, let's talk about the band. And this is also about how they fit in. Bernie Worrell, who plays the keyboards in The Flash, was a very important, was a member, in a sense, of the Talking Heads. If you watch the great concert film Stop Making Sense, he is in that band, in that film, playing playing keys and other instruments. He's fantastic. So he has the Jonathan Demme connection there. Um... Then there's the great Rick, the bass player. Rick Rosas was uh, Neil Young's bass player. Neil Young, well, Neil Young not only taught Merrill how to play guitar for this movie, but Jonathan Demme has made like three Neil Young documentaries. So he, these are all people that Jonathan Demme, you know, had interacted with in his career and handpicked for The Flash. Don't don't quote me on this, but I got the cool. feeling the entire movie that he hated Meryl Streep. Um, he had this vibe to him that was just like. Please don't touch me. Well, actually, there was a couple of times where I, I don't mean to <laughs> rain on your parade, but he was actually really sick when they made this movie, and he died before it actually came out. He was so he was not healthy. No! The movie came out in the summer of 2015, and he died in November of 2014. So this oh, was like the last thing. Oh wow! But he played that with Neil so Young. He played with man. Buffalo Springfield, Joe Walsh, um, Waddy Wachtel. He played with um, what's the guy from the Eagles? He played with, uh, I'm blanking. The other guy played with the Eagles as well. Um, Joe Vitale. He played with um, Joe Walsh from the Eagles. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And many other bands, including, you know, he played with Stephen Stills, played with Bill Wyman from the Stones, played with uh, Graham Nash, Don Felder, you know, David Crosby, all kinds of people. So these are very important music people and they all played live and with the exception of joe vitale they've you know they've they've died you know it's the ricky and the flash curse bernie warrell died after the movie came out rick the oh, bass wow. player died right before it came out but very a great strong band of folks that know jonathan demi and they all well, played even, live um, and i think they sound great together even um even rick right like technically uh was it Jesse's girl, right? Yes, but what was what Jonathan Demi did they use Jesse's girl? No, not that, not necessarily that. I just mean in terms of his 
in terms of his history as that actual musician. Oh, sure. So. Rick Springfield's huge. I mean, he had that hit, he, you know. Rick I did not realize that's who that was. And, <laughs> he, and you didn't realize it was just his girl? I uh, know. I didn't know he was anyone, really. Yeah, I didn't know a, who he was. Yeah, he's a great... Like, I do know who he is, but I didn't realize that was him. And he was a great basically. find for this movie because he was really good in it. Mm-hmm. And he can all, and he's really Man. good at playing guitar. Like, he's really great. He was, like, you know, film. pulling on your heartstrings. Yeah, he was Dude. a beautiful He has this one line. There's one line he says in the movie that I just want to quote because I remember it. And it was something like, it's not your kid's job to love you. It's your, it's your job, job to, to love, love them. them. And Another, that was just mm-hmm. such a, like, perfect, like, sums up kind of what's going on in the movie. Dude, um, it's the best fucking scene in the movie. <laughs> that, well, but also the scene, <laughs> but also the scene where, without talking about it, you know, he sells his guitar to buy the plane tickets, and they mm-hmm. have to play a song the second after she finds out about that. Someone yells, "Ricky, play Drift Away!" And then they go right to Drift Away, <laughs> and like they sing it to each other, and the way they look at each other is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very powerful. It's, it's what, very, you know, very powerful. What, and there's like, you know, even when she has to, thanks for the joy that you give in me. I want you to know I believe in your song. It's like, oh. <laughs> By the end of this podcast, Matt will rip out his guitar yeah, and sure. sing Drift Away for yeah. us. We're two steps <laughs> away from it. We are two steps away. Okay, <laughs> guys, we got to keep trucking on through this podcast. Yes, you we're know, nearing the end, we have probably. very. We, we are nearing the end and we are we have very important things to discuss because we are the most important film podcast out there because all those other podcasts are shit. So here, <laughs> this is the thing. They okay? are. I don't they listen really, to any of them. So. They, no, I don't they are. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. There's Can't other film podcasts? I, I, well, I don't know. You just find another one that isn't two white guys talking about movies and then you tell me if there's another <laughs> Yeah, we're very diverse. Right. We're very diverse out of this group. Yeah, we are diverse. Adriana's Italian. I'm Jewish. And I'm the black guy. Yeah, and Andrew's the one who's actually the diverse, but you know. No, no white bread sandwich here. That's what we're telling you. Man, we, we're, we're trying to keep these one of those inverted Oreo cookies, you know, with the like mm-hmm. chocolate on the inside. That's um, it. Oreo cookie okay, made yeah. out of matzah. <laughs> So, oh, dude, that sounds delicious, actually. I love the fucking chocolate matzo, bro. That, you that love it because it's not part of the, you know, for you, it's a treat. It, for us, it's a lifestyle. It, it, we don't love it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, every single episode of this podcast, we're going to have a secondary question, which we kind of like dive yes. into to, you know, expand the bigger picture of film and discuss the bigger picture of film. And for this film specifically... We decided to focus in on Maureen and start talking about can withholding a character strengthen their impact in a film? There are so many times where those bad, terrible critics talk about certain characters not getting screen time without actually looking at their impact on the film within that screen time and what Mm -hmm. that lack of screen time might represent. Yes. And I think in terms of this situation, Maureen is a fantastic example, especially in the sense that she is the only black character in a film full of white faces. Um, mm-hmm. Not the only. Uh, sorry, yep, Matt is correct. The film is quite diverse, he- kind of diverse, in terms of its supporting cast. I, I was mean, just like, going to say the guy, Bernie Worrell from The Flash, and that's it. Well, there's the, no, she, don't forget. Ricky has the great line about, like, 
that's, she doesn't like Obama, and she's like, so, so, right, sorry, right at the beginning to, the, to Bernie. It's great. <laughs> I roll my fucking eyes at that because I've actually heard that from people too many times. Yeah, but people would say that. It. That's why I love no, it. No, you're right. That that was what made it great. But like, I can't stand hearing it anymore, Matt. So like, that's why. <laughs> maybe that's also why I was. That's also maybe why I don't want to dive back into it. Maybe that's why I wanted a reckoning for Ricky a little bit more. I felt like she she had one coming, man. Andrew would have loved this film if it ended at the wedding with each member of the family picking up a stone and they stone Ricky to death. And she goes, (laughs) all I ever tried to do was sing. And they kill her. That's like the smartness. That's pretty interesting. I I just mean like it's dark, but like it's interesting. But let's let's. Fuck Ricky. We're talking about Maureen right now. Let's talk about Maureen. I love Maureen. Maureen is the fucking best, man. Okay. Can I just can I just say really quick, from a screenwriting perspective, okay? Maureen disappears. Sorry, she doesn't disappear. Maureen is not in the film for like the first half of the film. And realistically, Maureen cannot be in the film for the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. cannot be there. Sorry, Matt needs to say something right now. I can tell. He's- she isn't there, mm-hmm. but she is there. And that's why it's she- great. She isn't there, but she is there, Matt. But like to be completely honest, I would I would definitely lean more into the fact that she isn't there because when she's there, Matt, she is the wall. She is the wall that Ricky hits, and Ricky cannot fucking recover from it. Literally, that is the moment when the whole game pretty much stops at the house. This little game of house that they're playing stops because she's the mother, Maureen. Maureen shows up and she shows you, you, Rick, Ricky walks into that kitchen. She turns and she sees everything that she's never been a part of happening right in front of her. <coughs> and she me. can't even sit down to eat. She can't function. She needs to get the fuck up out of there. Cause she's she in leaves. someone else's family. She's in someone else's family. Now, this is why we need to discuss this because there are people out there who really feel that Maureen and they lean on the fact that, like, she is the only black character, which I think is, like, the easy way to, like, prop up this argument. I think it's I, – I do, too. I, I mean, I'm speaking as a it's, white person, but I think it's a pretty e- no, it's a pretty easy argument. Like, it is It is easy. And I think, like, if you, if you are able to say that, I think you're not necessarily watching – you're not watching the movie. You're not paying attention to what's happening in the movie because you would very much see the presence of Maureen – and how she is, like you said, Matt, mm-hmm. she's always there until she really is there. And then everything stops. Ricky's whole, Ricky doesn't have to reckon with shit until Maureen shows up. Right. And even when she tries to break down Maureen, she can't break no. down Maureen. She can't. This one unstoppable force meets a real unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. And they collide <laughs> and Maureen crumbles Ricky to fucking pieces. <laughs> But it's very right. interesting, you know. As soon Ricky as soon as Ricky early in the film when she gets to the house and is it Minneapolis, Indianapolis? I always something polis. Indianapolis, somewhere like that. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. When she gets there, she walks into the house and and she walks around by herself for a few seconds and looks around at the kitchen, looks at the little like cute little signs with the little sayings on them. This is Maureen's house. This Maureen has designed, and he Kevin, you know. She makes a comment about the either the doors or the windows, and Kevin Klein's character says, "Oh, Maureen had to have her." Blah blah blah. This is the house that Maureen built. So from the very beginning, she's walking in, not to her ex husband's house, 
to the new mother's house. And this is the house that she's designed, that she's built. Every little piece of the house is Maureen. And where is Ricky? Ricky is in a big Tupperware in a closet in the basement. That's Ricky's part of the house. <laughs> a Rubbermaid. She exists only in the Rubbermaid. Other, outside of the Rubbermaid, this is Maureen's house. And I think it's when Meryl... When, when Ricky comes down after Maureen has returned and sees that Maureen's cooking breakfast and they're all eating happy, all of a sudden she's an outsider and she has to leave because she's go she you know, oh like this isn't my family this is her family you know and that's mm-hmm. when she sort of realizes it for me and that's when it, the game kind of ends. It's not just Ricky trying to catch up with her folks. It's Ricky going oh these people have a life and I'm not in that life and I can't be in that life. Adriana. Speak up. I got to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the question was, what kind of impact is the absence of a character? And not seeing Maureen for the amount of time we don't see her, you just kind of start imagining, oh, who is this Maureen? Because they talk about her a lot. That's what you guys were saying. Like, she's not there, but she she is there. It's Maureen this, Maureen that. Like, you're always hearing her name. You, you know that she's a big part of these people's lives. Obviously, she's the woman who's replaced Ricky in the family. And so you kind of watch it with this, like, curiosity and this just, Even who is this woman? Even replaced is too easy, almost. Because it wasn't like Ricky was, you know... It wasn't what, like what Ricky was doing use? her job and then handed it over. It was like she came right, and saved, right. pulled this family together. She saved the family. Yeah, she, she, she saved the family. It. She came and was like, exactly. no, there was never a matriarch in this family. There never was. And now right. there's going to be. Right. So, yeah, you kind of have this idea of, like, who is this woman? Like, she sounds amazing. And then she gets there and she's played by Audra McDonald, who's oh. already, like, this just warm, yes. beautiful presence. Love Audra. Um, Broadway actress <laughs> and she comes in and it's just like wow you really feel what everything that Ricky isn't you feel instantly when you see Maureen it's like this is what a mother is this is what someone who cares about her children and her family and who knows how to put others before herself is even as you mentioned the confrontation they, that they have um, where Audra or sorry, not Audra, Maureen, <laughs> where Maureen talks to Ricky and tells her, like, you know, I'm the one who's been reaching out to you. I'm the one who you're like, I'm the only reason your kids even like think of you or remember you. Like, it's only me who's been making an effort to you at all this whole time. And I've done all the stuff that you didn't do. And that's such a powerful moment where Ricky really realizes, like, this woman, like, I can't, I can't even exist in the same space as her. Like, I'm so uncomfortable being in the presence of her because she's really, like, showed me up. Like, she's really done everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that holding her back in the beginning of the film, not seeing her, and it really makes even more of an impact when you do see her. And, Mm. uh, and yeah, I just feel like Ricky... Ricky can't exist in her space. And, and that's even, even when um, she gets invited to the wedding, eventually, Ricky it's doesn't really want to go. Ricky doesn't want to go, though. She doesn't feel comfortable in this. She can only be there if Maureen's not. And I well, like when you say... The, the invitation also comes from 
Marie. From Marie, like, yeah. Technically, it's coming from. She's Marie. this like really like holier than thou person who like who can who knows how to make amends and like look past all those things that Ricky mm-hmm. did to her family or didn't do. And, and Ricky doesn't quite get that. She doesn't know how to be that kind of stand up person. Funny enough, Marine probably loves Ricky the most <laughs> out of like, yeah. <laughs> all of them. But like, if you really take a step back and look at the big picture, like, right? You can, well, you can argue that they've been so hurt by Ricky, and that's why it's so hard. But like, she's really like, she has no reason to give a shit about Ricky. You know, that's what I mean? true. She walked into her mess, she cleaned it up, and now here she continues to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys talk about the wedding being this fantasy thing, like. I don't, I don't think Matt Ricky does. really Let's clarify that. That's Matt. <laughs> I'm putting that on him. Sure. I mean, I don't hate the movie for being that at the end. Like, I think it's like maybe it's easy and whatever, but I think it's it ties up nicely in a bow kind of thing, and Ricky maybe gets away with things in a sense. But I feel like as Matt mentioned earlier, like it's just the day. It's just mm-hmm. that day. It's a wedding. People are looking past what Ricky has done. Right. And, and I Ricky feel like the fact that she had sitting at the back, you know, she's yeah. And she's uncomfortable. She's not really, she's, like, she's, like she's not like, almost. yeah, she's not really happy to be there. Like there's the whole scene before where she's like, I'm not even going to go. Like she gets the invite and she's like, I, I can't show up to this. Like I can't, I couldn't show my face there. Like these people hate me. And like, I've realized now how much they hate me now that I've been back to visit and can feel that from them. Mm-hmm. Like I, it seemed like she hadn't seen them in a really long time. Um, so I feel like her going is just like her really going out of her comfort zone just by being at that wedding. And yes, like this whole thing happens where she gets to perform and it's kind of convenient that she gets to do that. And it's just funny. Like, I think it's Bring funny. Out the like, <laughs> Bring out the rocks for Ricky. <laughs> everyone in the, everyone there is just like, what is this music? Like they don't understand rock music. The The wife is like so angry and is like, Get her to stop! Like, how could character. you do this to my day? She's the most miserable person. How could you marry her? How could you marry her? But you then she and say, "I'm going to spend the rest of my life." <laughs> but then she ends up doing her wedding dance to Ricky performing, and it's like because... a little too. Maybe it's a little too convenient and easy, or whatever. Well, guys, but it's, guys, it's real a cute quick, Adriana, moment. Like I, I fell for that. Adriana's <laughs> broken us into what we like to call the brave new world, which is the place. <laughs> the part of the podcast where we're about to wrap it all up and we just have everything out on the table, including our secondary question and everything else we've been discussing. And Mm -hmm. we just start to go at each other because right now Matt is like two seconds away from like bursting through the screen (laughs) and possibly, possibly doing hard. He's shaking his head. He's like, no, I can control myself, but uh, go ahead. I always have stuff to say. No, 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 no. I, no, this is. I, I want. I want you to say what you're going to say because it sounds. It looks like you have something to say. I wanted you to. Well, something in. that has been, always been a, an interesting thing about this film for me is the band showing up at the end. Yeah, that didn't make any sense at so all. Either reason but... <laughs> paying attention to things that it was Maureen flew the band out because Ricky yes. says thank she, you, uh... Maureen. Right before she goes up, she goes thank you, Maureen for everything. Yeah, so that's what. That's so they're the, like in on this, like it's it was always a thing that was gonna they, happen. At some kind of point, thing? this was Streep's idea, they, and 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 Maureen was like Maureen knew, like Maureen 
knew this was going to happen. When she walks over to Calvin Klein's character, and he knows. Calvin knowing yes, and Calvin Klein knows. Right. Yes, I think right. it's time. Yeah, that's Calvin true. Calvin knows as well. Exactly. They, they all know. Right. So them. they flew in the band, which, you know, works in its, you know, they wouldn't fly in Streep. But I also think, <laughs> you know, Ricky wouldn't ask. Yeah, the guy, he had to sell his guitar for her. This is, this is my issue, though. Like, guys, like, the movie bases itself so much in, like, in a reality, like everything, like even when it comes down to Ricky's performances, yeah, Jonathan Demi shoots it like he shoots like his his uh, concert films. But at the end of the day, you are still in this bar with people wearing granny sweaters. The one <laughs> dude behind the fucking bar who's screaming, "Whoa, I love you, Ricky!" Yeah, he's great. I love it. Well, his dad him. produced the movie, but, so that's why he's there. Oh. That's why he's there. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> he wanted to watch Street rock out. Like, what Nepotism you? wins. Yeah. Nepotism wins. I love it. <laughs> um, but, like, this, this film constantly grounds itself in a reality, right? And then, guys, like, I, like, once everything, once we had that awesome sex scene, once Ricky, <laughs> once Ricky and Rick fuck, like, then all of a sudden, we literally go off the tracks of this of this film that is chugging along to be something quite kind of interesting. And we're just like, okay, let's go over to these easy accessible Hollywood tracks and let's bring it on home for the wonderful ending that is nice and warm. Like, dude, I was feeling all the feels at the end of that, at the ending of that film. But then I also sat back and I was just like, Wow, what a crock of shit. Well, this is, like, I have a question, though. is a summer I have a blockbuster. Question. And let's not forget, I, this is a late August blockbuster. And that, so, when you're making so that, but I film, know. that matters. <laughs> but, okay, but Andrew, Matt, you talk, and then, I'll, and then I'll ask you. No, no, say, say, go, go for it, Adriana. Go for it. Go for I want to know how you wanted the movie to end. Me? How I wanted the movie to end? Yes. No, uh, Andrew. I want to know how you wanted this movie to end and what would have been a satisfactory ending to you. I told you, if they all Wanted brought, it? if they put Ricky in the middle of the room and they hey. all started. <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, that's my I feel like question, it's a little, Matt. yeah. That's my question. But Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt's suggestion is pretty cool. Yeah, it's see? Very presi- it's, it's very Cronenberg. <laughs> I like it. Um, but uh, no, honestly, like Adrian, I really, I never look at films in the sense of like, I would have done this instead. Right, right. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I, I watch the film and I take it for what it is. And like, I really just try to like engage with the film for what right. it's putting in front of me. Not but like you feel like the I'm, ending was a crock of shit. So like, what, how the the could day, it like, end in I, a way that's not? My issue was just that like, I didn't feel like the film, the, the film started to engage with something that it was never ready to, to like bring home. That's pretty much what it is. I feel like we engage with this character of Ricky and right. what she is like in terms of the character. And instead of actually driving that exploration home, what we do is we kind of give her everything she wants and then and end the fucking movie. Like, you know, and like in a, a big, nice Hollywood scene that works great for a fucking PG-13 movie that's dealt with all this heavy shit. Like, right. honestly, like even up to the point where like Mammy stops before she's about to walk down the down the aisle and she's like does she say walk on or yeah, walk, walk on rock no on. she goes walk on walk on <laughs> yeah i love that i <laughs> cry sometimes at that scene. dude there's, there's two scenes in this movie where i cry that 
and when they're playing Drift Away. Not every time, but I have cried at those scenes right. multiple times. I do think the movie is a little bit trying to say that despite Ricky not being there, at the end of the day, she is their biological mother. Like, I do think there is a little bit of that perspective that the movie has, and it's kind of like, you need your mom, or whatever. Like, yes, it gives a lot of credit to Maureen for being there, but there is still this bond, the fact that... She, Ricky is their actual mother and her presence being there kind of brings something out of them, whether it's anger or whatever, or, or maybe in that moment she's there for her daughter who's like about to have a panic attack going down the aisle or whatever. There is something about her mom being there who's never been there that gives her that strength, especially because she was there at that time where she really needed her. Um, I don't think it's like complete bullshit to be like, well... You know, she. it's only because of Ricky that the girl didn't have a panic attack and, like, Ricky gets to perform at the end. Like, at the end of the day, she is their mother. And, like, it's kind of, like, the reparation of the relationship between the kids and her but that maybe of- is a little too easy in the movie, but they, they're making that effort when they invite her to the wedding. Even though it wasn't the kids who invited her, they obviously knew she was going to be sure. there. So but it's it kind was, of just, like... It's not... It's not... It's not their job it is her job she like like this is the one thing that like i think at a certain point the film is just kind of like the film kind of like rests its laurels on the fact when when ricky's on the stage making this whole speech about how mothers are expected to do this and mothers are expected to do that at a certain point yeah the film is pretty much turning around and saying like hey like guys are allowed to go and do this why shouldn't girls be allowed to go out and do this right and like I don't think anybody... Or, or perhaps not why shouldn't they be allowed to is... No, Matt, Why pretty, aren't they? Like, why, like, why, why can't they get, they get away with it? Why can't she, they get away with it the same way men get away with it? So it's... But, no, I don't think she's saying why can't they get away with it like men go with it. She's saying why do men get away with it? No, no, no. She she is very much saying, like, why can they do it? Like, uh, like I'm... She's very much saying, like, why are they allowed to do it? But, like, nobody's turning around and saying, like, hey, guys... Maybe none of you guys should be doing this. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, maybe maybe that isn't the answer. Like, the film does, and the film then backtracks onto Rick when Rick is speaking to her and telling her, "Hey, like, I fucked up too. We can have a second chance if you allow yourself to have a second chance." At that point, the film is trying to it's trying to dig for something deeper. And it literally just hits the fucking... E- it goes on to Easy Street from there, man. And from there, it just hits the fast-forward button, and it's like, okay, Rick, Ricky, Ricky is confronting her bullshit. Fast-forward, let's give her everything, right? Let's give her that moment to shine for her family. Let's, I mean, I do disagree twice. a little bit with that, though, still, because I don't think it's like... She gets everything. Like Matt said that earlier too. Like I don't think it's really that simple that she gets everything. I just she think doesn't, that Adriana, I she think doesn't that they're want her still family. resistant. Does, I think they're she still want resistant. Her she gets to be a rock star. I don't think I don't think that's I don't really think it's too. like that either though. I think like her family is still resistant to her. I don't think it's like, oh, with open arms, come here and perform. Like it's not really done in that way. It's kind of more like this hesitance of like They're on the okay, stage she's, singing she, with Rick. 
Yeah, but it's very forced. Like Ricky kind of Ricky Ricky kind of it's it's not it's not forced. Adriana, they're having a great time. (laughs) Emily, all of a sudden, Emily, the the woman who has hated Ricky the whole fucking time, all of a sudden, Sebastian Stan spins her around one time and she's like, Oh my god, this is great. Like Right. But I I think I think they're kind of just like, Okay, this is what's happening. We can make a scene right now and like stop it, or we can just go with it and enjoy our wedding. Like I think that's kind of what the option is there. Um, and I do think it's an interesting question the film poses of like, how can men get away with being like absentee parents and people like to their children might still accept them or whatever. Like there sure. is a different it's not expectation. It's a rock star kind of thing. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's just sort of across the, the entire patriarchal yes. role of like, yeah. why do the, why does the man get to go to work? Why does the man get to, to like not be a father and still be loved and respected by his children? Whereas if a, a mother does that, it's kind of like "fuck you, you're a horrible person." Um, Let's all the things that Ricky is is being called or or felt towards. And and Andrew, you said something about how like it's not the kid's job to to make that reparation or whatever. I think it is their job too. Like it's their. It's a choice. Like it's just, do I? It is choice. Do I allow myself to feel this hurt and pain and resent this person my whole life and just make us not have a relationship, or do I just be okay with the fact that this is who they are? They're not meant to be my mother. They're not treating me like they're my mother, but they're still a person in my life who I might want to have some sort of a relationship with. At a certain point, Ricky had a dream that was bigger than her family. And she decided as a parent, and I'm like, I'm, I'm pulling parent cards on you guys. Yeah, I was going to say, okay. Andrew's the only you one who's a parent, so he gets a little, like, parent. pulling parent That's... card on you guys right now. As a parent, yeah, you need to, like, I, I'm in a situation where my son's not with me all the time. I get in for half of the week, and even that half of the week when he's not with me, I feel it. Dude, she fucked off. She shows up on Christmas. Yeah. This is so much more than a father going to work. This is so much more than like, this is so much bigger. And Ricky literally takes it like she she makes herself the victim like constantly. Yes, yeah, she does. She does. Yes, she does. And, I agree with you. I'm and, not denying that. And the I, film- I'm not trying to defend her. Her uh, To be clear, I'm not trying to defend the fact that she's like that. And that it's obviously she's it's not a good trade to be like a bad parent. But I'm just or saying, to not it's be a parent because she to not be a parent. right. She's not be a parent. She's, bad, she's just not there. She's right. not there at all. But I do think that it's her adult children's choice when it comes to that point. Maybe not when they're kids, but when they're fully grown and she's already gone. Yes. I think yes. it's their choice to either be like, do I just accept her and try to make some sort of just make this easy for each other and be nice to her and whatever, or do I just openly hate her, reject her for the rest like, of my she's, life? She's, until she's gone. Well, yeah, it's not like, even about be nice to her. It's it's the decision of do I allow this woman to be a part of my life? Yeah, yeah. exactly. At, in any sense of the way, because when they have that first dinner, the son, um, whose name I just said, <laughs> Adam, Adam, <laughs> Adam is like basically like go like he's just like who the fuck are you? you yeah, know? It's like, you're not even a, my you're not you're nothing. Yeah. And learning to let her be something. Right. Okay. We're going to have to. We're, we, this got heated. That, that, that was perfect. That was perfect. We're going to move on and we're going to close mm-hmm. up this fucking podcast because we're trying to keep this not too long so that we don't drive you guys crazy. And it's a weeknight. It's a fucking weeknight. We got to work tomorrow and shit. All right, guys. So this is the finale. Finale. We have two things to decide right now. Okay. 
The first thing yeah. is just we need to we need to go across the board and say. If we I also like want to say one last thing. Go <laughs> this is one of my litmus test films. If I've gone on a couple dates with someone and I kind of like them, I very often make them watch Ricky and the Flash. Oh, and yeah. Has anyone passed the test? I don't know how this works. As long as they pretend to like it for my sake, <laughs> we're fine. We're fine. That's that's okay. Matt, we already know where you're going with this, so I'm going to give this to you first. You got to tell us, did you like Ricky and the Flash and why? Ricky and the Flash is a beautiful film. You know, it's I love a film that you grow with, you know, that like, oh, I didn't see Ricky and the Flash in the theater and go, amazing. I saw the theater, I was like, oh, that was a lot of fun. Like, oh, great street movie. But it took like a second and third watch where I was like, you know, really sort of settling into the nuances of it. And once again, I think there's a great admirable quality in the fact that Meryl Streep has done so much and like has been, has been kind of coasting for a while and can and like all the, all the power to her, go ahead. But she made the effort to like learn how to play guitar for this movie. <laughs> and, you know, she doesn't really do anything that's very challenging on the guitar, but she can play. <laughs> She's got rhythm. I'm like, good for her. And, and yeah, so I'm a sucker for a good music drop. This movie's got a whole bunch of them. I'm a sucker for, like, a woman rock and roller. Like, you know, like, give me Chrissy Hind. Give me Stevie Nicks. You know, give me give me that. And uh, give me Ricky. So, yes, I love this film. It's a very endearing film. A lot of fun to watch. I'll watch it again and again. Love Ricky. And the second question? <laughs> you got to wait for that, Matt. Adriana, oh, okay, okay. over to you. Okay. Um, as I said before, I did really like this movie on my second watch. Again, kind of like Matt, there's things in this movie that really appeal to me. I really like the dysfunctional mother-daughter type relationship. That's something I enjoy seeing in movies. Um, the, just the general dysfunctional family type thing is always up my alley. Um, and I think the movie does a good job of like making us have these conversations um, that I didn't even realize how deep we could get into it before we got into it but I feel like it asks a lot of questions about family and about gender roles and um I think any movie that makes you think about that kind of stuff is good um as long as it's you know done well which I think this movie is is very well made um as we said it's Jonathan Demme um great direction and great musical moments that really kind of give this movie a life that it may not have without the music in it. Um, it's got this nice mix of like being this, you know, kind of sadder, like family thing. But then the music is like, you know, you almost see why Ricky is drawn to it. So I, I, like I, I did like, I like this that movie, a lot. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I really love that last point. That's really good. Um, okay. Uh, so, I'm, where do I land? Like, what is it when you are 50-50 on a film? Like, what happens when I'm, like, right in the fucking middle? Have we I changed can't... your mind at all? <laughs> no, you, you, no, you guys, you, I, will, I won't lie. You guys have definitely shifted me. Okay, you know what, then? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift into the positive. Okay. Ricky and the Flash is, you, you, you can't argue that this movie doesn't have a lot going for it, even though there is a lot within the film that ends up fighting against all the greatness it does. Okay? <laughs> I'm still, I'm still very much on the fact that I think this movie is 
almost like halfway, almost a bit more, probably 60, 70% of the way onto being a, a great film. But I'm sorry, I really think that the third act completely disrespects everything that the film is trying to build up and it kind of just throws it all away. I want to say something really quick because this is one of my favorite parts of, a fi of the film and I just think this is one of the most genius moves on Demi's part. Even though it's been used from other playbooks from directors, casting Mammy as a daughter was just so absolutely genius. Oh, would you even talk about that? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Like, amazing. The, real daughter, yeah. From the second they show up together... Not only their parents is one thing; it's just unremarkable. It's remarkably like like similar, but then as they start spitting all of this venom at each other, it is so authentic. It feels so real, and that move from Demi is just it's genius. Like I that made it immediately made me buy into the family dynamic. If anything, throughout the film, I was pulled out of it. Right there, mm -hmm. them they they really allowed me to get pulled in. So yeah. I like Ricky in the Flash, I guess. Um, <laughs> wow. wow. Yes, that's all I ever want to do is get I like to say that. I like, I like Ricky in the Flash. Um, but, love, 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 but, love, 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 love will not Ricky let the you Flash down. Has, has a big problem in terms of actually dealing with the bullshit that it puts forward, which is something that's very American, funny enough, but we'll leave it at that. I'm not going to say anymore. I'll leave it at that. Ooh. I'll leave it at that. Well, look, Ricky in the Flash 2. <laughs> seven times hey, i can't guys. remember the last film i watched seven times in a period of five years i'm just saying <laughs> i'm i feel like i'm gonna have to revisit now after this okay so wednesday guys, august 5th 2015 the last, the last question that we have it goes back yes. to our secondary question all right so if you guys remember correctly i don't i just had to turn to the paper and look at it um can withholding a character strengthen their impact on a film. Yes. And yes. if I knew that was the question earlier, I would have given you a whole list of examples, but I think yes. <laughs> Matt, just give us one other prime example outside of Ricky and the Flash, our film historian over here. Just give us one other. I'm one. just, it's hard. You're putting me on the spot and I'm just the blanking. The third fucking man. You could have just said that, man. Even that close. Yeah, but I've only seen that once and I, I was tired. It, it works. It's a impact is felt. I would even argue then, even in that respects, you could throw in something like, I don't think it's a good film, but like Mank, even in that sense, Orson Welles is technically with Stank. Us. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard hey, of Oz. Hey, there you go. <laughs> There's Both. way better examples. We're just kind of like blanking on Not, Yeah, like I, seven, I didn't you know? think like, about like, this. Yeah, seven, oh, John Kevin Spacey. Mm. Yeah. That's mm. huge. But um, Adriana, throw in yours yeah. as well. Maureen, yeah, I do think that withholding the character of Maureen, at least in this case, makes a bigger impact on the movie. And I do think that it does in other films too. I don't think a person has to be on screen all the time in order to feel their impact because if they're really talked about and alluded to when they're not there, like clearly this person has an impact on the characters if they cannot be there and still be felt. So... I do think the answer is yes to that question. Yeah, I'm adding to that with a yes as well, but I'm going to state that I think it works if the screenwriter is smart enough to make it work and if the director is also smart enough to make it work. It mm -hmm. doesn't just come down to how the film is shaped and the pacing of the film, but it actually does come down to how this character is written into the scenes that they are not there. In all the cases that Matt stated, 
even in the case of Ricky and the Flash, Marina's present throughout the film, even if you don't see her. She's felt mm-hmm. in every moment. And when she eventually shows up, because of great screenwriting, it impacts the entire film. It is a pivot. It's literally a huge pivot for the entire the film. The film changes course of direction at that. It's the reality point. check, right. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the fantasy is over. So yeah, man, Marine, <laughs> the ultimate black magic woman showing up <laughs> and fixing the Bromo family. She's a black magic woman. That's, <laughs> that's just what we do. Okay, we we show up and we operate in the background of uh, films, and then boom, <laughs> we make them better. That's that's it. That's it. Okay, guys, mm-hmm. thank you so much for spending the last hour and a half with me letting me piss you off about Ricky and the Flash. Matt, I promise you the next Meryl Street movie we watch, I'll enjoy. I'll I'll agree, I'll agree. I'll be a little bit easier to agree with. Look, we just did a three people and we all liked Ricky and the Flash at the end of the day. <laughs> so, that's a win for Ricky as far as I'm concerned. And hopefully Matt's future dates like the movie too. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you better like Ricky and the Flash. You know, write it down in the notepad. Now you know. I used to make them watch Phoenix, but it's like maybe a Holocaust movie. That's a little harder. Hey, that is really hard, man. It's just like, hey guys, let's watch Phoenix. Let's watch Phoenix. Phoenix. Pretty great movie. movie. It's an amazing. Pretty great movie, movie. dude. One of the best final scenes ever. Ever. My favorite final. No scene spoilers. I don't think I've seen it. I, I'm gonna watch Ooh. it. You have to watch that movie, Adrian. I'm gonna watch that's it. Like, that's Be like a close. <laughs> <laughs> that's a run back the last ten minutes like five times over after you watch it because you're just like. Oh, but that's all. Wow. But also like amazing final scene, but also beautiful film, and it's the kind of film that like begs you to talk about it for hours. It does. Right. It, does. You, well, it you, just begs you like. For hours to talk about it. Guys, unfortunately, Phoenix will never make it because onto this because Phoenix is good. And if you don't think Phoenix <laughs> is good, you can actually go and fuck yourself. So Yeah, fuck you. That's it. That's it. That's it. See, guys, this is the new bar that has been set for podcasts going forward. White guys everywhere, watch out. You're in danger. <laughs> white guys, you better get someone who's not white or a guy on your podcast. That's it. Or else <laughs> it's, it's over, baby. Switch the fuck up. All right, guys, thank you so much for this time, and I cannot wait to chat more movies with you guys. I'll sing us off. When my heart is free, oh, melody can move me. When I'm feeling blue, guitar's coming through to soothe me. Thanks for the joy that you're giving me. I want you to know I believe in your song. Rhythm and rhyme and harmony. Well, they help me along. And they're making me strong. Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll.